0: Welcome to the Giant Leadership Podcast, where we help leaders like you get the knowledge
1: and skills you need to impact more people and live the life you've always wanted. Get ready to experience tools, tips, and advice by the co founders of Giant and best selling authors, Jeremy Kubachev and Steve Cockrum.
0: Hello, friends, and welcome to the Giant Leadership Podcast. I'm Jeremy Kubitschek, and with me, as always, is me, Steve Cockrum. Hello, me. How are you doing
2: today? I'm doing very well, thank you. Yeah, the temperature has dropped, which means all Brits are now happy again. We're into low 20s, which is our proper summer temperature, whereas last week we had 39 with no air conditioning, so obviously
0: the whole country came to a standstill. And all of the Americans still go, we have no idea what you just said. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we have no idea what 20 and 39 means. Uh, so I, think, I forget. It's kind of
2: part of that rebellious streak that you guys have, isn't it, <laughs> leaving our empire. So we deal in Celsius, which is the queen's own temperature. 21 is about, what well, don't know, Late 60s, yeah. possibly 70. Is that, that better currency for you to speak in?
0: Yes. And I don't know if this helps you. Well, you obviously live in the US and you you witnessed in Phoenix and South Carolina un- unbelievable heat, but it's been a, over 100 for so long. Wow. It's so obnoxious. Uh, you know, the, the beauty is we all have Eric on here and or the majority. So anyway, it's just been so. I told Kelly, I was like, we're done. This we're, next August, literally, so you can hold me accountable for all those listening. We're mm-hmm. going to be leaving, moving to another climate for the month of August. Ooh. That's the goal. Any Any ideas where you might go? Greenland is what is the top of the list right now. So Greenland, oh. um, maybe the tip. No, I'm joking. There's not, <laughs> nothing in Greenland, right? No, I don't oh, know yet. It's <laughs> not going to be rude. I'm like, wow, okay, fair enough. Greenland okay. it is. There. <laughs> you know, our our friends in Santa Barbara have a nice 72 degrees on average, yeah. and so yeah. that could be, that could be. So anyway, well, it's good to see you. I know you've had all types of, you know, summer stuff, and, and likewise, I've been traveling like crazy. It just got back from Alaska, um, which was um, one of those most unbelievable. The mosquitoes literally... Would be twenty five, thirty of them around you, the size of small horses, and they are just, they, you know, they land on you and just suck you dry. It was just crazy, um, it, just the, the amount of mosquitoes. Um, there's like twenty four million. How did you survive? <laughs> yeah, you just you just have DEET, which I don't love, all over <laughs> you all the time. But we got we got dropped off in this helicopter, up thirty miles into the six million acre national park. And we we're just traipsing through, and we had a guide with us with bear spray <laughs> to hold off any grizzlies. Yeah, because and- that
2: that'll, that'll frighten the living daylights out of a giant rampage. <laughs> yeah, won't it? I've got my, I've got my bear spray. <laughs> uh, luckily,
0: <laughs> luckily, he heard us traipsing around and scared him off. But uh, so then we went bouldering, and I got to just tell this story. This is so dumb. We went bouldering, and you know, like bouldering these massive rocks, and I'm with Will. We're doing this six summers of you know retreat, and Will's a decathlon, and you know he's he's going through, <laughs> and I'm like, well, I could do that, I can do that, yeah, 50 yeah. years old versus 22, yeah. and I start jumping like parkour, jumping the tops of these boulders, and I don't know, just thought, oh, I can make that one, and I j- attempted to jump, and literally slipped, my foot dragged down, and and I realized. I'm gonna die. Like I went and I looked down and it's about 15 foot down onto another boulder, this massive man. hole. And I was falling through, and my leg is the only thing that caught. And literally it caught me. And then I got my arms up, and Will comes running over there and lifts me up with this man strength. And he's like, You good? I'm like, no, <laughs> no, I'm not good. I've yes. got bruises, scrapes. Oh, no. You yeah, are such a great was,
2: storyteller. Whenever you tell the story, I go, Did you make it? Did you make it? And I'm going, Of course, he made it. I'm talking to you. The, <laughs> the way you tell it is like the Cancun I, one.
0: Is the I, I was. He died there so many times. I was literally, it was It was sketch. It was sketch. Wow. But um, we did make it. But I was did just Do you, salmon? Salmon.
2: you catch any salmon this time?
0: No, we went to the northern part. It was, uh, they had a lot of flooding. And so they didn't. Um, it wasn't like salmon season. We weren't in the right area. We went to the mountain Denali, wow. which is 20,000 feet. So anyway, there you go. That was my little update I'm, for you. I'm
2: glad your life's exciting, Jeremy. I've been still playing nurture in chief six weeks on from the operation. I'm, I now how to operate everything to clean, to um, operate the washing machine, the dryers. I've made breakfast in bed for Helen every morning for five and a half weeks and driven all the kids all over the country. Um, you know, I just take my hats off even more to my nurturer friends around the world who selflessly, without any need for public affirmation in front of their four and a half million listeners. Just willingly serve and continue to give themselves away for people. So I've blown you're my amazing.
0: <laughs> well, that's, you're... That's
2: <laughs> as long as obviously, if a pioneer is going to do care, then it's a competition. Uh, so, how, I, how am I doing? I how still do
0: want to interview Helen and the girls. That's you what can. I'm gonna do. you I'm can. Honest. <laughs> Honestly, I've been on fire.
2: Anything mm-hmm. as you know, anything that I can focus on for a short period of time and receive public affirmation is great. It's the long term discipline commitment of can I do it for the long term is
0: well remember my birthday is in october we'll see how well you do is it october, october. again yeah yeah it's the same yeah <laughs> um, okay so let's get into it steve so we got all types of stuff current affairs craziness that is going on in the world as usual every year it has it since the you know since we were we were put on this planet um what what in the what's your thoughts about the current affairs like what what are you reading right now what are you thinking about what are you most intrigued by
2: well, good question. I mean, I think the thing which is most live this week and probably the most frightening, I mean, everyone's basically said, you know, Ukraine, Russia, but I think we've seen a, a taste of the future in relation to uh, Sino-American relations uh, are in Taiwan. So I'm dying to hear your take on um, Nancy Pelosi's visit to Taiwan and whether you think that was a, a good idea or not, because from over okay, here, well,
0: it looked a little bit like a... Wow! Apparently, no one can stop her going if she wants to. Well, the biggest uh, issue for China is that she was in Tiananmen Square, and she, uh, you know, back in the day, and she had a major protest. And she's a protester. I mean, she grew up a child of the '60s. Yeah, Uh, John Kerry, Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer—all those people were all protesters, activists, and so I think that's probably what she saw in this. Um, And they Chinese brought that back up. If it had been another politician, I don't think it would have been as much of an issue as her. Yeah. But here's here's the interesting part for me. I've been studying our history of the United States and the Atlantic Ocean in Europe and the protection Mm -hmm. of the Atlantic. And I see, actually, we're going to get pulled in. This is my personal opinion. We're going to get pulled into Europe more than we even imagine, which will be really interesting with a two-front war. Yeah, which we've done before, World War II. Atlantic was first, Pacific was second. Because the Pacific is so much further away than Europe with the Atlantic. So it'll be really fascinating to see how America actually, in all of our craziness and all of our silliness and the things that we're, we're playing around with right now, of how we handle these massive strategic, like I think, I don't think Russia is over (laughs) uh, in people's minds. I think it's going to just continue and continue and continue to eventually have us make a decision. Of which China, I think they're still a couple of years away. I could be wrong. I think they're one, two years away from being able to really do it. It's not easy. So I think they're going to do a blockade of Taiwan first, and they're going to try to choke them um, and try to basically squeeze Taiwan That's my my hunch at this point in
2: time. I mean, it's it's really interesting. I, I was reading as well that America is now talking about whether they stop sending chip hardware and new technology to China. And it's really interesting, almost having had probably 40 years of globalization and the assumption that we were now, you know, one, all right, people had different ways of doing it, but the supply chains were global. And that in many ways, the assumption being that if we opened up our resources to Russia, to China, whatever it might be, then somehow we would have a positive influence for good from a democratic point of view. And I I just think that you're watching this kind of tectonic plate shift that basically globalisation will become regionalization, and that actually China is really the, the superpower that in many ways, the question is, has it got big enough to take the West on yet? And kind of me hopes it hasn't because I think the economy over there is not in as good a shape as they would like you to believe, and that kind of the retail debt and the the, the growth that they need. So in some ways, it looks, again, a little bit like the the thing you said about Russia, is when everything's not going perfectly at home, what they almost need is an enemy without to justify, as it were, sabre-rattling and, you know, displaying the military arms. So I kind of hope that the naivety that somehow if we continue just to open up all our universities and open up all our investments. I think there's going to have to be a reapproachment for leaders of going, who can we partner with and who are we going to have to be careful how we engage with? Because actually when we watch the real intent or the heart that lies behind um, some of those characters, I'm just not sure we can be quite as naive as I think we've been over the last um, 20, 30 years. So it's going to be very interesting. And I think, that you know, I think America is obviously at the center of this. But I do wonder whether it will actually bring together the Western democracies a little bit closer together with Australia and Japan and others to go, how do we take on um, military
0: It's it's like NATO. NATO has been tightened. Because yeah. of Russia, your, your yeah. point is the, I think the implosion of Russia, which will happen, um, that's going to cause this massive gap. Uh, Japan's going to increase mm. dramatically. I think uh, China is a house of cards, in my personal opinion, uh, being held together by force. And, you know, we know how that turns out long term. Um, so anyway, that goes back to domination leads to abdication.
2: I think the adage we've often said even at the beginning of Giant was the world doesn't need more leaders. It needs better leaders. And if ever there was a time for courageous leadership, um, and I think some very, very difficult decisions are going to have to be made some unpopular decisions and the nature of the political cycles in the West and America means we very rarely allow leaders to make long-term strategic decisions that are costly in the present. And, you know, We had the governor of the Bank of England come out yesterday and announced that we were going to have a five-quarter recession, which I'm not sure the politicians thanked him, they just started their summer holidays. But this sense in which we're going to go through a very, very difficult time, my hope is that basically um, that we're actually able to embrace some courageous longer-term decision-making. And I, I just hope it would be lovely to see that because I think, I've often said, we, Britain only ever tolerates real leadership in in famine and war, either economic famine <laughs> or real war. And uh, I think there's a sense in which maybe we might be in that place. So we shall see. Mm-hmm. But um, anyway, let's
0: do this, Chris. Oh, it's Chris. I said Chris because we have Chris. The I'm hour, Steve, by the Steve, way, I'm your business partner. <laughs> let's do this, Steve. Let's invite Chris in because we have such a strong leader. Let's just Fantastic. go straight to him. Yeah, Um, we have we have with us friends, um, an amazing leader who (laughs) was his name is Chris Herschend. He's a great friend. Uh, Chris and I've known each other for a long time. Uh, Chris is responsible for a lot of things. I'm going to let you explain some of those, but I want to point out a few of them because I think they're interesting. Um, Number one, he comes from a great family. And that family has built an entertainment business that has some of the most iconic amusement parks in America um, from Dollywood to Silver Dollar City. He's also, uh, they have ownership of the Harlem Globetrotters, but you also have this partnership with Dolly Parton, which has to be the most iconic. I mean, one of the most iconic uh, personalities in America, you know, and so if you think about, I want to know about Dolly Parton. So somewhere weave Dolly Parton into this conversation, Chris Hirsch, <laughs> and welcome to the Giant Leadership
1: Podcast. That's my mandate. <laughs> How you doing? I'm great. I'm great. I love hearing y'all talk, and thanks for including me this morning. Absolutely. We're going to talk. Well, sorry, Steve. This afternoon.
2: Do you know- hey, that's the most. That's the most sensitive American we've had ever on the podcast, Chris. Most just assume that kind of the whole world revolves around EST. I mean, obviously you learnt it from us first, so there's never usually a huge moral imperial high ground for me to stand on. But I appreciate that. Thank you.
0: Thank you.
1: Everything I do is subtracting from you. <laughs> Time zone wise. Time zone wise. So sorry.
0: Chris, tell us, okay, today we're going to talk about responsibility. That's the topic, the kind of the theme today. So um, tell us about kind of responsibility, your review of what that word means, and then what are you responsible for as chairman of the Hershen Family Entertainment?
1: Well, I would, I would say I think it's a huge privilege to have responsibility for anything. Everybody has it at some level, you know, your cat or whatever, you know, things you choose. But um, I think it's I I just can't escape the word privilege and honor associated with that word. And I don't know why. That's probably something I should explore through counseling. But um, holy burden. I mean, I don't know. So what I do is primarily serve uh, a couple different groups of people. Uh, The first is my well, I guess three groups of people. But one of them is pretty typical, but my little family, Ashley and my four kids, uh, we have four children ages 16 to 22 now. That's my day job and my life's work. And the most fun thing I get to do is to be Ashley's husband and the dad to these kids. Not unusual. I think a lot of people uh, have a similar kind of first circle of responsibility. And then uh, out from there, my broader family. So this is where I'm really lucky is my my uh, vocation is really all tied up in serving my family so when i wrote out my uh purpose statement in my 20s in some small group exercise somewhere it was probably pretty clumsy but it it included that it it was like i i didn't have it as a job at the time but i felt like my purpose in life was to serve my family and so uh, i did that in a few different ways in my work uh which ultimately led to what I do now to answer your question. Uh, I'm chairman of the board at Hershen Enterprises, where we own a handful of kind of entertainment related assets, theme parks and water parks and fun stuff you do with your family, aquariums and, you know, Jeep tours and really cool stuff. We would never send any of our guests bouldering unattended across chasms, but you know, softer, softer adventure would be in our wheelhouse. Um, so that's, that's the vast majority of my job. In that role, I work with our stockholders, which is my family group. You mentioned my family built this business, so we're 100% family-owned. We have an independent board of directors. I serve them specifically as chairman of the board. That's where I focus most of my energy on the board, its health, its membership, its its effectiveness. And then our CEO. We have a non-family CEO, and I spend a lot of my time thinking about him, praying for him, doing whatever I can do to be helpful to him. And how, how many uh,
0: family members do you have?
1: Oh, like 2 trillion, there's so many. Uh, we have a whiteboard in our office where we keep track because people keep producing babies, but uh, I think we're at 63 today. And that's uh, 23 or 24 households in multiple US states, three living generations. Yeah, right. Four. Four living generations. Here's what I like about it. So
0: if you think about the circles of responsibility, you've got your family, your core family, you've got your extended family, which is the family operations, right? And then you've got this this team. And just the idea then to go, you're a role as a chairman. And a lot of people don't understand what that role really means. Mm. And to think really how you like take the CEO, how you're working ahead of him, meaning you're trying to watch out for future trends, you're guarding his flank and then you're, you know, uh just anything you know that that you can take off his plate, right? So that no. level of responsibility is really interesting in managing all the three of those things. I know you well and I know that you do that really well and that, that no. you're you're one of the best examples of a responsible person I know.
1: <laughs> oh, that's really great. I, I I appreciate that. I really I really do take it seriously. I I, I think it is an an enigmatic job. There is a a mystique kind of with the word chairman. People feel like it's a um, powerful title. I've I've uh, I can see that, and I, I see that expression in, in other roles. I just uh, a friend of mine, Adam Farver, is a chairman of. Uh, that make windows and Adam is a, a, a extraordinary He's just an extraordinary man He says it well he goes if I do my job well everybody should look at me and kind of go what is it he does again because uh, you know we don't we don't need to be the headline in any decision that ought to be our CEO or the family there's really there's really nothing I do by fiat right Everything I do is by influence or consensus or persuasion or luck. Um, and really somebody else is doing most of the stuff that I get to touch. So that's also frustrating, right? If you're a doer yourself, which I don't know that I am, I need to go through, I need to go through, uh, uh, your program again and kind of remember like who I actually am. But, um, that's something you have to surrender. If your goal is to do things yourself, you're going to be really frustrated as a chairman.
2: This is, I, I'm feeling slightly left out here, Chris, on the grounds so that obviously Jeremy's the executive chairman of Giant and you're the chairman of Herschel Entertainment. No one's asked me to be chairman of anything. Maybe that's just I'm <laughs> not responsible. enough. Yeah. I hear um, you
1: make a mean <laughs> breakfast in bed.
2: Well, there you go. I, I think kind of That's probably I found my, maybe I'll be the executive chairman of home cooking in the Cochrane household and I'll <laughs> that one thing. But I, I have a question that's for you, Chris. I mean, I love the circles of influence that we, we talk about. We always say that basically um, every leader one of the most important things is to be responsible for their own personal growth and their own well-being because you can't give away what you don't possess. So talk us a little bit about for you how you've taken that responsibility to say, how do I keep growing? How do I keep investing in me? How do I keep developing who I am as a leader so that I can continue, as it were, to be the best I can be for all those different areas of both family and team and your CEO and various other people. Talk to us about some of the things that you do or have done that you think might be helpful for our people who are listening.
1: I, you know, it's funny. I've um, always been a little frustrated with myself because I don't find myself particularly interesting and I don't have very many hobbies and I don't do many things that my friends do that are kind of fun. And I I feel like I do fun things, but I have to work to remember to do them and I don't think I'm a workaholic, so I just think I'm a little flat by nature. And so, I—I uh, I mean, I can—I can be charming, you know, but it takes a little work and planning. And I'm not even sure it's that effective. We'll have to—that would be an interesting thing to study one day. But so, for my own personal like self-care, it became mm-hmm. a challenge because I was always—if uh, you ask me how I'm doing on a scale of one to four, I'm always like a two something because I'm like, there's something out there that's around, you know, there's like this is. Fine, but it could be a lot better and I could do better at this and I wish I'd handled. So I had to get rid of some of that self-talk and just say, all right, you you are loved, created on purpose, not by accident. You are exactly who God designed you to be and just live within that. And so that came about as a result of just every day, just stopping first thing in the morning, just a real simple core, core, core routine. So if I really took those concentric circles in even further, the first one would just be just me. It's just me and God and I spend time with him every single morning and it's not always particularly deep, but it's totally consistent. And so that to me is like, uh, not just, I know if I don't do it, I don't feel right or something, but like, if I don't do it, I don't think right. I don't have the proper perspective on what I can and can't do. And also the limits of my influence. I mean, we're, you know, we all make a big impact, but none of us is irreplaceable and so just to be able to say, you know, I can I can only control so much, and it's going to start right here. So that's number one, sort of having a proper sense of, like, where I am relative to the creator, which then makes it really easy to just live freely, knowing he's well-pleased with me. Uh, not, I'm not perfect, but I am loved. And so that's really big. And I just... I actually, I chair another board of our school, our our school. I just got to speak to all the teachers the other day, which is a real privilege. You think about getting to talk to all the teachers at your kid's school. I was like, I just, I've been doing it and I'm just like, this is, I'm pinching myself. But that's what I challenged them with. I was like, you're no good for these children or for your own families, unless you're good for yourself. And I'm not talking about, you know, eating avocados and, you know, whatever it is you do to, to make your body feel good, though, that's really important. I'm talking about soul care and just centering daily. And for us, it's a Christian school. And so we talked about worship and and, you know, being under authority of a church and things like that. But but not in a luxury way, just like that's what's good for you. We're, we all we all need that. So that's that's really it for me. I don't have like a great routine outside of that. I'm not a particularly healthy person. I don't like to exercise. I don't even, you know, I don't even like to eat, frankly, I could just eat one thing every day and be fine. So it's, only. it's mostly just, it's a mental <laughs> and spiritual exercise for me almost yeah. exclusively. And then from there, I just, I work out of that each day. That's good.
0: That's good. So, um, you know, the word responsible is really, it's really about being held accountable. And there is the, there's almost like a, negative side of it I mean that's not necessarily negative but you're like hey you're responsible for that can be viewed as as negative but then there's the positive side of responsible so the idea that hey you have the ability to multiply and give yourself to help mm-hmm. other people so um what does that what does that mean on a daily basis for you when you're thinking about what are you doing that's intentional to multiply your responsibility or multiply responsibility to other people so that they take
1: that on. Oh man. I mean, I, so I love the creative process of like strategy and design and planning. And I love stealing ideas from other people and then trying to adapt them to our situation. And, and so that tendency can take me into a rabbit hole of just like personal work. And I got my spreadsheet and I got my thing and I've done the reading and now here's what we're going to do. But, the the work of responsibility to like sort of outlive myself or at least the company and my work is is such that I'm always I'm always trying to pull other people into this process so that they see it in real time. They don't see a work product finished and tidy, but they're with me through all the iterations and all the whatabouts and all that. So In our circle, so that's I've got board members, I've got family members, and I've got our CEO. Those are my primary three kind of vocational people that I'm influencing. And Ashley and I do this too, but I'm sure it's way more frustrating for her because for some reason I feel total freedom to go to my wife and say, What if we, what about, what about, what about? drives her nuts. But in a work setting, it's been really good because it brings people in right alongside me as I'm doing my thinking and I'm hearing theirs at an unformed early stage. And so the net effect of that is I feel truly like I've got multiple people around me who could do what I do and better, differently and better for longer. Uh, the most the most important example of that is probably in our family system. You know, you think about a family, you've only got X number of potential successors if the role is family leadership. You can't outsource that. So you know, for our CEO job, we got six billion candidates, but for family leadership, there's only, you know, whatever, 63 of us right now, 250 by the time I'm 80. So I got a smaller pool and I'm constantly working. So I have a, a cousin, next generation, other family branch who sort of emerged and was curious and interested and did the work and diligent and careful and thoughtful and respected and kind and sm- super smart. And that made it easy to love this guy, right? I mean, he's easy to work with. And we're essentially partners in a lot of our work in the family. But and then he is doing the same things I'm trying to do with him. He's not necessarily looking for somebody younger, although that's great. It's more just other. So we're trying to and we and we built a system to manage our work product that is very transparent. So almost anybody in our system can see what we're doing. So that also increases trust and has a lot of other benefits, too, in addition to sort of multiplying leaders. And it allows people to see, like, you know, we joke, like, what do you do again? It allows people to see exactly what I do and where I spend my time and, you know, how I think. And you can see draft one to draft two, and you can see the changes we made. And so I think that's um, that just builds a lot of confidence, not in me, but in a system that can endure.
0: Well, and I love that, Chris. I th- I, th- I think people need to understand, Chris is running a family office and... An organization, a significant one, both, as a chairman. And those are, you know, some people could just do one, but not have the family component. And for you, I just, what I love that about you is that you're responsible, but your, your desire is to multiply, to be transparent, build trust, to have influence, but to teach people along the way. And that's what I'm hearing. You're like you're teaching and training as you go. Uh, and it's ultimately not about you with a crown on your head. It would be a real
1: bummer if it was, if somebody asked me that, they're like, what do you want your legacy to be? And I was like, I don't expect anybody to talk about me in 60 years at all. But I think that the bigger picture of what I've been able to steward and influence and, and guide is totally worth celebrating. And I'm super proud of it, but I don't expect to have, you know, liner notes with my name on it. Yeah. Oh.
0: It's really good. Now you haven't gotten to your responsibility to manage the partnership with Dolly Parton. <laughs> so we got to get to Dolly. So come on, tell us a story or something. So
1: Dolly is exactly, so we've been partners for since 1986, whatever that is, 35, 36 years, right? Is that? Am I doing my mouth yeah, right? Sure. And we meaning our family and Dolly, not me and Dolly. I was 14 at the time. They didn't come to me for advice, <laughs> but, um, Uh, she is an extraordinary 99% of the credit for our partnership goes to Dolly. Uh, the other 1% goes to my uncle who, who struck the deal and stuck with it through a lot of, a lot of difficult negotiations with not Dolly people. She is exactly what you see in public. She is that way in private and she's warm and kind and hilarious and knows what she doesn't know, but very strategic not just about her own brand, but a very business savvy. And so she's been a great partner for us. She does over and above anything that we've ever required of her contractually. It's We've never, I don't think we've ever had to discuss anything like that. It's always just been a joy to work together. And she collaborates so freely. Um, her team's been fantastic. So it's I, I don't have a lot to say there other than she is just as amazing as her reputation would suggest.
0: I would love a reality show with Steve Cockrum at Dollywood. I've been I mean, just. Uh, I've but been no, to but filmed. Filmed it. <laughs> it was. It was. I, we took the
2: whole family there, and all of us went to one of the evenings with the the, the courses and the shows and the. It, it, as, a, as, a, as an experience of Americana, it was truly
1: spectacular. Oh, you can. It is. It is it, difficult yeah. to top that.
2: And, and sadly, I think our team lost the Civil War. So that was kind of one of the disappointments of the evening, or whatever it was.
0: But it well, was. Well, that's the Dixie Stampede, Steve. Oh, that's Is that the Stampede? Again. Uh, yes. Yeah, Stampede, Dollywood yeah. is the amusement part. Well, so. but, but
1: Stampede is, is part of Dollywood, so it's yeah, that's it, been a great sorry, part. Not, sorry, forgive yeah. me.
2: There you go, chance to promote an extra brand in that one. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> I, I they're, uh
1: they're a great team, they're a fantastic team at Stampede, and, and we've learned a lot from them. But yeah, Dolly is, is active there as well, and, and that's part of our Dollywood company.
0: And then the last one, just as now as a fan, I remember going at 10 years old to the Harlem Globetrotters and watching that experience and going, that's so cool still. And for those outside of America, you may not know, even though they're global,
1: oh, but they're global.
0: Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's still well, a, a thing that you do. One of yep. one of your brands. Yeah.
1: We bought the team in 2013 from a private equity firm and, um, and it's really been awesome. We've learned so much. And the, 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 I, the sleeper thing about the Globies is they are, they're welcomed into any school, into so many different environments, just to talk. We do a lot on anti-bullying and a couple other things, but I mean, it is red carpet to come in. If you come in with the Globetrotters, you're welcomed all over the world to talk about character, you know, anti-bullying in this case, in that example, other other kind of really cool things. They call them the ambassadors of goodwill. I We knew that going in, but I don't think we appreciated it as much. And It's been an incredible entree into communities all over the country and the world that we, how would we have influenced those people before? How would we have been in those audiences? We wouldn't. So the Globies have been fantastic for that. And the players, again, what you see is what you get. That's awesome. They're awesome people.
0: Chris, it's so good to have you, man. Thanks for being our guests on giant leadership podcasts. Always grateful to be around you and uh, thankful for your responsibility. Thanks for the example.
1: Thanks, guys. Fun to be with you. Appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, Chris. It. All right,
0: my friend. It's so encouraging just to, to be and For those, you know, I, I know Chris. He's a personal friend, so I've had a lot of history with him. But he is even more of what you heard. And it's not just celebrating him. It's celebrating people like him that go, he's a liberator. He's a freedom fighter. He fights for the highest possible good of other people. And I, I would... You know, I think he's a creative, we can talk about that, but he's a either a creative connector or a creative pioneer. But uh, in in that uh, dynamic to go, uh, he thinks so much for people and for their benefit that that's what I love about him.
2: I, th- I think the, the thing that struck me is that we, we have various people on, or we talk about various leaders that are very public and um, you know, it is about them. I mean, we laugh about Elon Musk. It's always about Elon Musk. Whereas, actually, I love the fact that on the, the podcast, we actually had a profile of people like Chris, who says, I don't want to be known in 60 years, but I believe that the legacy he leaves will be known. And I think it's really interesting to ask the question, what does it mean to lead through influence? Which I think, Chris, and how do you balance responsibility and authority when you are not? the CEO who makes the ultimate decisions. And I think, you know, you may have some wisdom on that as well. But I think as you get older and you actually, if you've done a good job, people put you in places where they're almost asking you to mentor and invest in and play that role where you actually have to die to your own ego at times that if you do a really good job, you're not the person that everyone salutes and everyone says is great. And I think that's a really interesting question about for us and for leaders who are listening this thing about going—how do we be people who leverage our influence for others, and how do we actually make sure that we actually give the right calibration of authority, responsibility to the people that we lead? That was the thing that struck me. And just go, i was really impressed by. It. It's not about Chris. There's not an ego there. There's a deep commitment to the vision and the mission of what it is they're doing. But the mission and the vision and his people are more important than him. And, um, I'm not sure that's necessarily my default tendency as a Pioneer Connector, and it might not be yours as a Connector yourself, Jess, but it's it's really lovely to actually watch the way different people lead in different ways and model that ability to be a liberator in different ways and
0: celebrate the different voices that do that, I think. And to be in so intentional about your family, yourself, but also your extended family and going, what is your responsibility? Which, let's go to the, our last thoughts, and I'll I'll start on that front, but... Um, and then you can you can finish this off, Steve. But the idea for me is, uh, if I would get on a soapbox for a minute, it's the idea of responsibility. To get responsibility, I mean, it, it you have a responsibility, but that could be uh, that could be such a blessing. It could be such a benefit to you that that you have the ability to be responsible for dot dot dot. What is it? So taking responsibility is is ultimate intentionality. You have to be intentional for your family, for your health. You're responsible. Uh, I think responsibility is a missing link. If I had, if I took it in civic, there's civic responsibility. Civic responsibility means be a good neighbor. Stuff that we grew up hearing, but those things have been eroded or taken away. Uh, like Boy Scouts has kind of gotten canceled. And all these different groups have been canceled that teach basic responsibilities. Uh, yesterday, I was at with the Oklahoma football team and we were launching um, to all the players kind of uh, voices and all these things. But the coach got up, coach Venables and he got up to everyone and goes, guys, um, we want you to do something really basic. We want you to be responsible for your rooms. And they're like, what? And he, and he basically, he correlated work on the field with how, how organized and how clean their rooms were, their apartments were. And he tied that directly to, if you do it well here, you'll do it well there. And so the idea of responsibility is that we have to be responsible for our homes, our yards, our neighborhoods, our families. If each person is responsible, it makes it all work. Irresponsibility, you know, not not taking responsibility, being accidental creates all types of issues that we have to all deal with constantly. So that's my final thought as we listen to Chris, and uh, just encourage you to be responsible in your your world.
2: There you go. We sound old. Um, I, I'm
0: going to I'm going to lighten the mood
2: somewhat with a degree of humility and say that um, we, we joke about the fact that we only have four and a half million listeners because we lost a few. You know, I don't know where they went in the transition, but. Um, um, It's good sometimes to be able to laugh at yourselves. And I think as leaders, that's a good thing. I think sometimes we get to tell stories where you look foolish. So we, at the moment, I checked today, the Giant Leadership Podcast has an overall rating on iTunes of 3.7. Now, I'm used to thinking, well, 4.8 is a failure because why would anyone (laughs) not think it was a five? Um, So I'm thinking 3.7. Then I realized there was only three reviews. And two people had given us a five. And somebody had given us a one. So whoever you are in the world, okay? <laughs> They're not listening one, anymore. <laughs> if you are brave enough to reach out and find me, I will do a one-to-one session for you to show you the power of giant. And then actually hopefully you'll understand that what we're doing is worth more than one star. But what I need though, what we need is we need the four and a half million less three of you who are listening to this podcast to actually go to iTunes and write a review and um, ideally at least four, um, so that we can get back up above four because uh, that would be really appreciated. So thank you to all the nurturers uh, who will no doubt go and do it because they feel really bad for us. But I'm challenging some of the pioneers and the guardians and the creative pioneers out there to go, if you found what we've been doing helpful, then basically write us a review, give us a good review, because then people can find us and they can also um, benefit, I hope, from what is um, the wisdom and often through our failures of what it is Giants doing in this world to raise up um, the right kind of leaders with the right kind of responsibility.
0: So there you go. I'm expecting a
2: few more reviews and three by the time we come back, and I will be checking.
0: You're going to get like 20 people going, that was me, I I did the one. (laughs) Uh, To get a a one-to-one with you?
2: I think we can find their names. Do you know, I still get on the podcast from the liberator podcast and one of them i said if there's a nurturer out there who really is a first voice nurturer brave enough to reach out to me on social media i'll give you a 20 minute pep talk on how amazing you are and i i still get people reaching out and it usually takes them on average a year from hearing it to pluck up the courage to go steve i know you must be incredibly (laughs) busy, (laughs) but nurturers i love it and i'm grateful when you do so there's my final humble thought of going we're not quite as big as we thought we
0: were well um humility is good for us it's Giantworldwide.com if you want to find out more information if you're new to the giant leadership podcast and for the rest of you uh you know the fun part about this you never know who we're going to bring on we may have dolly parton on wouldn't it be funny um anyway there's a, a lot of future guests that we're excited about and as always to be with steve and i across the pond it's always fun good to see you, mate and yeah, uh, yeah. we'll talk to you next time cheers
1: If
2: you're looking for a speaker for your next event, whether live or remote, Jeremy Kubicek speaks to audiences all over the world. Jeremy is a best-selling author, international speaker, and co-founder of Giant Worldwide. He has started over 20 companies while living in Oklahoma City, Moscow, Atlanta, and London. Whether you're looking to impact your executive team, your entire organization, or if you're hosting a public event, go to jeremykubicek.com to learn more.